the simple gospel. As we close out our Thessalonian series last week, uh, we are heading into a new series on missions. And I love the song that they just sang, The Simple Gospel, because it is simple, but it's for all people everywhere. Not just in the United States, and not just in Mexico, but everywhere. It is the simple gospel. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the mission field and what does that look like? What does that even mean? Because it's not just about who we are in this building, but it's who we are in our neighborhoods. It's who we are when we travel the world. Are we representing Jesus to all people with the simple gospel? And I just want to say you all have impressed me because there are so many of you in here who have done amazing things for the kingdom of God. So many amazing things, and yet you are so humble, and you don't tell us. <laughs> and for four years, there has been a man that has been amongst us who you're going to hear his story today about, basically, how do I describe this? He's the Yoda of missions. It's seriously, he really is. And yet, he is so humble, and his heart is so big. And it only came up recently as he was meeting with Mark, and then I was like, wow, I want to meet with this person. So I had a breakfast with him, and I think about that breakfast actually regularly because of the love he showed me, but also just his passion for Jesus. And so can you guys give a warm Creekside welcome to George? Come on up, George. Thank you, Nathan. Okay, um, do we have anything there or no? Uh, not to worry if it's not there, that's fine. Um, we, we did have some PowerPoints here, but it may not be working, and that, that's not here to show just PowerPoints here. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to thank, publicly thank Pastor Mark for the invite. Uh, I never take it lightly, lightly when a pastor turns over the pulpit. I, I see it as a huge stewardship. But I am grateful for the opportunity to share a testimony about what my dear wife, Harriet, is in the, in the back there, and our co-workers, Bob and Obi Kennel from Seattle, Washington, what we saw firsthand the Lord do, reaching an unreached people group called the Basodios. And God gave us that privilege, and I want to share that testimony here this morning. Um, it, it's a bit different, perhaps, because week in and, 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 week, in and week out, um, we have excellent teaching, both from Mark and Nathan, and I personally don't believe that's particularly the focus of a missionary um, to be expanding the scriptures. Not that we can't, not that we shouldn't, but I believe it's more in keeping with what the scripture modeled, like, for example, at the end of Paul's first missionary journey where him and Barnabas got back to Antioch. And it says there at the end of Acts 14, verse 27, it says, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he, that is the Lord, had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So, man, that's what I want to do. I want to share how we saw the Lord open a door to a people group that were previously unreached um, ever by the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And so my one desire here this morning is to point you to the resurrected, 
ascended and living Lord Jesus Christ who is ruling on planet earth. We are in love with him and we walk with him. We're not uh, in love with the mere idea of Jesus, but with the living person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's who I hopefully draw your hearts and minds to that whatever you are facing or going through in your own Christian walk, that you might be encouraged that we have a God who continues both here, yes, but around the world continues to call people to himself. There's still a huge need out there, guys. There's well over several thousand different people groups who still have not heard of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we still have a lot of work to do as the church. And hopefully we'll continue to grow and cast a wider net, even as being a local church here. Uh, thrilled that the guys are uh, heading down to Mexico uh, as we speak. Okay, let me just commit our time to the Lord so I don't get lost and stay focused on sharing testimony about uh, him. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be with my brothers and sisters. I pray that you'll go before us and that you'll be glorified in this hour. In your name, amen. Okay, just a little bit of background about uh, who I am and my wife, Harriet. We grew up in southern New Jersey, um, so we're from the, from the East Coast. Um, we grew up as childhood sweethearts. I knew Harriet since she was seven. And um, we did not come from uh, Christian homes as far as practicing Christians, just nominal Christians home. Actually, uh, probably you could say somewhat dysfunctional home. Um, we, all through our teen years, we did not know Christ. And it wasn't until after high school that we came to know the Lord Jesus. So, I mean, I graduated as class clown of my high school class. I was, uh, I was really an idiot, a, a buffoon. And um, I, was, I was a loser, like our loser, going <laughs> however that's supposed to be. Um, going nowhere, going absolute nowhere until the Lord Jesus Christ came into my life. And when he did, he made a radical difference in both my wife, well, she wasn't my wife just yet, but we were boyfriend and girlfriend at the time. The Lord made a radical difference. I mean, we were heading this direction. Christ came into our life, and it was this way, 180-degree turn. As new believers, we met an elderly couple through a set of God-given circumstances that began to challenge us to take the gospel to those who never heard, tribal people around the world who had never heard of the gospel. And as newborn babes in the Lord, we had no idea um, that there were people out there. You mean there's still people out there that know, don't know about Jesus? Yeah. Hundreds of thousands of them. Many different language groups. And so, man, this couple took us under their wing for the next year and discipled us. I mean, we were, man, we were babies in the Lord Jesus, but they never made us feel like babies. Nurture us, keep pointing us to the Lord and to the authority of God's word. And man, there was a lot of needs in our lives. There's a lot of stuff that, that had to be gone, but the gentle, patient Lord Jesus continued to work in our in our lives, as needy, as needy as we were. Well, as the Lord would have it, um, Harriet 
I had to wait for her to graduate high school. She graduated high school. We were married the very next weekend. I told my daughter, you, that, that's not going to happen. That would never, ever happen. <laughs> I was only 20. Harriet was only 17. I had to get a special note from her parents to be able to marry her because she was underage. I mean, technically. So anyway, we, so we get married. Two months later, we went into New Tribes Mission Bible School. And we served, actually, with New Tribes for 40 years. They're Ethnos 360 now. Uh, currently, Harriet and I are with a smaller mission called Interact Ministries. We've been with them for about three years. And um, we train new missionaries, the 20-somethings, who are heading out wherever, um, and how to learn a foreign language, culture, and worldview. Because you need, you're going to need to be able to understand those things before you try to proclaim the gospel. Is, oh, well, maybe we got, mini, we got mini slides. Okay, I'll take the mini slides. Oh, there's bigger ones. Okay. <laughs> That's totally fine. You can, I'll, I'll take it. Okay. So um, there I said we grew up in uh, southern New Jersey. Sorry, you may, we may get the dual thing here, but we'll keep, we'll keep going. Um, the one thing that the Lord has um, fully convinced me of is that he delights, he revels in using the weak and the foolish and the despised. That is by worldly standards. The church at Corinth, they were pretty much patting themselves on the back because of all the gifting that God had given them. But Paul reminded them, he said this, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of noble birth. But God chose. Think about it. That's on purpose. It wasn't a flip of the coin, a roll of the dice. Chose on purpose. The weak, the foolish, and the despised. Paul goes on. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose. What is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing. Things that are, are so that no human being might boast before him. But that if you are going to boast, man, boast in the Lord. What do you have that you haven't received from him? And that's it. The goodness, the love, and the grace, and the wonder of God, that is my heart's desire to, to keep pointing you and I to him. Okay, so after Harriet and I entered Bible school, then we went into also uh, missionary training where we learned phonetics, linguistics, how to break down unknown, unwritten languages, and then take those languages to where you can be able to create an alphabet for people to where they can actually read and write their own mother tongue, and eventually get the translated scriptures into their own language so they can read God's word for themselves in their God-given heart language. And so after that training, then through a set of circumstances, God led us to the country of Papua New Guinea, 10,000 miles away from New Jersey. It's a long way from blueberries and apple and peach orchards. A long way from home, and yet... This is where God specifically led my dear wife and I. Harriet 
By the way, she was seven and a half months pregnant when we first went to the field with our first kid. Um, because, well, that, that's, a, that's another long story in and of itself, but we thank God for, for his grace. Actually, in a way, we saved on airfare because our, our little one, we didn't have to pay, but it, it was eventually born, <laughs> born in New Guinea. Okay, Papua New Guinea, the second largest island on planet Earth. It's divided in the half. Let me get a better look there for you. It's divided in the half. It used to be Arian Jaya. Now it's the province of Papua on the western half of Indonesia. But on the right side, it's the independent nation of Papua New Guinea. They got their independence in 1975. It's an island today. It's got, well, over 9 million people. But the thing about that, is on that one island, there is over 800 different distinct language groups. Not talking dialects here. As different as Chinese is from French. And so the Lord led us and gave us the privilege to, um, to work with another couple, Bob and Nobi Kennel, amongst the Basodio people. Now the Basodios, they lived at the headwaters of three different uh, river systems. And they, they didn't live in villages. They were scattered all over the place, these three uh, different river systems. And they lived in these small hamlets. Um, and you would have to walk a day, a day and a half, sometimes two days a walk before you came across the next hamlet. Um, and these here, I'll try to bring up the bigger picture there. These are some of the very first Basutias we ever met. And I can remember the first guy I met seeing, I could see his face like it was yesterday, my dear friend, Tabo. And I can remember the first time I saw a man, it wasn't a PowerPoint now. Now this is, boom, this is it. This is actually a fellow human being. And I remember the Lord specifically saying to me, George, you are looking at someone that is created in my image. And he is to be treated with dignity and respect. Lost though he be, without Christ though he be, he is made in my image and you are to treat him with dignity and respect. Man, I'll never forget that. That was something that Lord burned into my heart. And this was a privilege that God was granting us, the stewardship of taking the gospel to these dear and precious people that were living out in the middle of nowhere and this was the beginning of the first place where we met them called, it was a hamlet called Basababi that eventually turned into a village. Um, but we had, um, we had our work cut out for you, uh, cut out for us. Um, think about it. Here you are, you, you come up to the bank, here you are in the village. Um, Okay, I'm talking to you, you're not even responding. I said, okay, right now I want everybody to stand up. There was one person that stood up and that was my wife. And you didn't respond. And then I said, please stop staring at me. And you insisted on doing it. 
So we had a problem, an unknown, unwritten language. And it wasn't like, you know, when we get there, um, you know, Rosetta's not going to help us, Babylon's not going to help us. None of those software programs, it wasn't like, well, here's the Basodio language in, uh, you know, 12, e 12 easy lessons with the CDs included. Um, so we had to begin to build relationships. Kind of the walk in their, well, they didn't have shoes, walk in their footprints, so to speak. Taking time to learn their language, the culture, the worldview. How were these guys looking at life? And the reason we wanted to take time is because of what the principle is, and that applies here in the States too. Don't go trying to give an answer until you understand. The Bible says that's folly and shame to try to be speaking into something you don't, you don't understand yet. And so we didn't want to have a ministry of folly and shame. But to take our time to understand first so that when we proclaim the word of God, we'll actually be able to predict how they're going to be understanding what we're saying and be able to teach in such a way that we can counter the opposing worldview assumptions. But first of all, it's a matter of showing them the love of Christ and living alongside of them. And, and so that's what we did. We had to take the next three years of just living side by side, out on the trail. Sometimes we, once we got situated there and our, our kids, Bob and Noby Kennel, they had two little girls, uh, Carrie and Christy, and we had our son, uh, George II, uh, with us there. I mean, just puny, puny, come on, just born, they're just babies. But they were in the village with us. And when we felt, uh, you know, things were safe after we got situated, my coworker Bob and I would take off for a couple weeks in the jungle, just roaming the jungle with the Basodios while our wives and children were back at the main village. We were trying to learn that language and culture and the underlying worldview assumptions that is fi like finding out how they're understanding reality. Right there, that man right there is offering a pig sacrifice to dead ancestors because someone was terribly sick and so they're, they're believing the ancestors make that person sick and they're trying to offer an appeasement so that they'll take the pig sacrifice and leave the human being alone. There was all kinds. They had a whole hierarchy, dozens and dozens of different spirit beings that they believed in, living in fear and bondage, immorality of every kind you could think of. Um, there was fighting. There was warring with neighboring tribes. There were situations where we actually had to get the police to come in because of some of the fighting that was coming in, uh, going on, and there were some murders that had gone on. Speaking of that, we had done a survey of the Basodia men, and we only found four men who had not murdered someone in their lifetime. These guys were not, you know, sometimes when you see the shows on like Discovery Channel, you, you get the impression these guys are maybe out in the middle of nowhere, one with nature. You know, it's like fun land. Try living with them for two decades. Far from it. Far from it. And they have an opinion about it too. We had BBC uh, from England come in trying to do a documentary in there. Well, they got an earful from the tribal people of what it's like being a tribal person and what their perspective is. 
And so it wouldn't matter if they were happy. God's not happy the way they are. And he is still pursuing people to the ends of the earth. And so the question comes, now how do you then present the gospel? After three years of studying, walking side by side with them, doing life with them day in and day out, laughing, weeping, the whole gamut of life together, um, how now do you present the gospel to them? Romans Road? How do you begin that when they believe the Son is the Creator? And when their concept of right and wrong may be way different than your concept of right and wrong. Our desire was simply that we would be able to make the message clear. That was our heart's desire as it was with the Apostle Paul. Lord, please help us. How do we make this clear? Through a set of circumstances, the Lord led us to teach them, starting from the beginning in Genesis and unfolding the biblical story. And so after three years with our dear friends, uh, we finally got the elders together, the leaders of the village. And we said, well, and they, they knew, we kept telling them, we got, a, we got a really important message. We got a really important message. That's why we left our home country. That's why we left our families. We, all they ever heard from us for those three years is that we had an important message. So at the end of the three years of studying their unknown, unwritten language and culture, one we were fluent, um, we told them, now it's time for you guys to begin to hear this important message. Well, they said, well, it's uh, about time. <laughs> we haven't been waiting three years. Of course, they didn't realize how difficult it was learning that language. But by God's grace, we, he enabled us in the midst of our weakness. And so we said to the leaders, we said, well, look, we noticed that um, when you guys have important stories, you tell them around the fires at night. So here, here's an idea. We're just throwing it out as an idea, we said to them. How about if one night we do one hut and we share some of this important message and then the next night we'll go to another hut, then the next night we'll go to another hut. Then they looked at us, they said, hut to hut. Is this message important or isn't it? We said, look, this is the most important message you're ever going to hear in your life. They said, if it's that, if it's that important, you will teach us uh, the whole village at once. You will teach us the whole village at once. Put the talk out under the sun, is the way they said it. Oh, man, we said, all right, everybody at once. This is awesome. So we didn't want to press it. We said, well, how, how often do you guys want to get together? Maybe twice a week? Twice a week? Is this message important or isn't it? Well, we said again, it's the most important message you're ever going to hear. They said, if it's that important, you will teach us every day of the week. I'm thinking, oh man, every day of the week, how are we even going to do that? It'd be hard in English, let alone in a cross-cultural situation. We said, well, wait, you guys got to get food and everything. It's not like they're going to go down to Walmart or something and get their groceries. Man, we're in the middle of nowhere. There are no towns. There are no roads. This is in deep interior. There's no towns anywhere remotely close. So they huddled together and they came back. They said, look, we've been getting our food before you got here. We know how to get food. We will get our food on the weekends and you will teach us Monday through Friday. So we said, man, thank you, Lord. This is, this is unbelievable. So again... That was the situation right there at that first village in Basodio history, 
right there at the top of that hill. There was no church building. We were not singing. We're not praying. We weren't trying to get any because they were animus. Any kind of like spiritual goodness because they did some kind of something. And we didn't do sermons. We had village conversations. And they lasted an hour, 20, hour and a half. And it was this back and forth. We'd be proclaiming God's word, of course, from the scriptures. But then we would talk about it. See what they were understanding. Ask questions, all that kind of thing. And day after day is how that went. So anyway, we, we began and we, we gathered together. And there we were. And, well, hang on a second. I don't want to quite come there yet. I'm going to stop right there. I'm just going to leave it right there. There's where we were at the top of that hill. And so right here, there was, um, and man, I'll tell you what, you had to get going early. I mean, we're, where we were located is only a few degrees off of the equator. You talk about hot. Yeah, that, that's hot there. So you don't want to be out there at noon trying to do teaching. So we did ours in the early mornings. And um, at the time, there was only 35 that gathered together because that's all that was in this small little village. They weren't used to gathering that big. It doesn't sound big to you, but it was big for them. And plus, there were different lakes around there that some were uh, terrified of the spirits in the air. And some, look, many of them had not even seen stick matches before. They were using inverted pirate bills for spoons and coconut shells for bowls. The lion's share of them had never, ever seen white skin before. The only ones they did see were gold miners back in the 60s, who were in that area doing gold mining from Australia. Interesting what people will do for money. But what are we as the church of the Lord Jesus doing for the souls of men? Man, sacrificing for the Lord Jesus and staying focused for that which is going to last for eternity. When the Lord Jesus comes back, all this is going to be melted down. This isn't going to last for eternity. But people's souls do. And when you and I invest in people, we are investing in that which will last for all eternity. And we need to stay focused on that by God's grace. So here we were. These guys, think about it. The privilege that this was. 2,000 years since the Lord Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And this was the very first time ever in history. That this language group was hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ. You talk about a privilege and an honor. And us as local churches, it's a team effort. It doesn't happen without the local church. People giving and praying and writing letters of encouragement. I'll tell you what, during the days, during the days of uh, language study, it gets overwhelming. It was, I, we didn't giggle our way through that. Sometimes I'd be so discouraged, I'd, I wanted to quit and go home. Uh, Guilty, guilty is charged. Looking for the exits. Lord, how do I? I wanted an honorable discharge, though, of course. <laughs> Secret prayers. So discouraged midway through the language learning process, I wanted out. Secret prayers. Lord, please, I'm, I'm begging. Give, give me a disease. Give me a disease so I have to go home. Please, I am begging. Asking for a disease. Of course, I wanted to be healed when I got home. <laughs> and then a note from the doctor. George is never to return to Papua New Guinea. <laughs> oh, I'd go, but there the doctor says I, I can't go back. 
man, guys, we're weak, 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 weak. We're not spiritual Rambos. And neither are you. You're not a spiritual Rambo. Yeah, you may think you are. But man, we're weak. And it's, it's okay to not be enough so that he can be our sufficiency. He is able to enable. That's all we got to do is just hang on to that. In the midst, not in the absence of our not enoughness. And so we had these 35 and we began to um, start in the beginning. In the beginning, God. But even before you get to creation, he's pre-creation. Like Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were born or ever you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so we had to get everything out of their minds that exist like not there. And God alone there. And they're looking at us. They said, wait, what? What? <laughs> they, didn't have, they didn't have any being in their worldview like this. A self-sufficient always was God. The I am. Oh, man, just right out of the starting blocks. They're looking at us. Whoa! That's the expression they would make. <laughs> then, of course, I believe the scripture would indicate that it's angels that were created first. You get some hints about that pre uh, the foundation of the earth. And then the fall of Lucifer. And in that, they see there's an enemy of God. And then we went into creation of this world. You had, to, you had to have Satan falling before the temptation, right? You can't have that happen later before you get to Genesis 3. While we're teaching five days a week at their request, we took two weeks in creation alone. In the first two chapters of Genesis, and we did it on purpose. And... I believe with all of my heart that it was there that God began to get his foot into the heart of the Basodio people. His power, his majesty, his glory, his goodness, his love, and his care for man. That they were experiencing even though, yes, there was, there was fallenness there and we were going to get to that. But the goodness of all that they themselves were even aware of, seeing that it was God that had given that to them. And as, as we did that, you know, and I thought, you know, here, here's the deal. I honestly believe this. If man does not bow the knee to God as creator and sovereign Lord of the universe, neither is he going to bow the knee to him as redeemer. It just simply isn't going to happen. You got a starting point, and the Bible starts with Genesis. And so we saw God firsthand. Then we got into the creation of Adam and Eve, where man is created in God's image. The nobility, the dignity, the honor, and the stewardship that man had. They, and they saw that, like, I, I remember the, the way I saw them respond to Genesis 1, 26, 27, and 28. That was good news. Because the neighboring tribes were telling the Basodios, because the Basodios were way up at the headwaters, and so they were like the country bumpkins, the uneducated, 
the low life. The neighboring tribes downriver used to mock, laugh, ridicule, call the Basodios wild animals, jungle pigs. We even had neighboring tribal down telling us, why are you wasting your time on the Basodio people? And yet, the Lord sent us there. Christ died for them too. And they too were objects of God's pursuit. And we were got a chance to participating in it. It was awesome. You kidding me? Oh, I'm going to stay home so I can go shopping or watch sitcoms? Like what? Why would I give my life for anything less than pouring it out to those who never heard of the Lord Jesus Christ? So, man, we were just spending time there and, and, and painting uh, the beauty and the glory and the wonder of the Garden of Eden. And they, they stopped and they asked us, they said, where is this place? Where, where is this place you're talking about? You know, the guys are burning up with malaria or they're pulling thorns out of their hands as they're listening there in the meetings. Hey, it's rough going. Poverty like you wouldn't believe. Um, each day, the food quest is on to keep body and soul from separating. And that was the condition we found them in. Okay, Genesis 3. I'm, I'm going to have to keep moving here. I'm trying to give you the 30,000 foot uh, view here. Um, so we know the temptation and the fall. And they saw Adam and Eve yield to Satan's lie. They saw the beginning of sin. They saw the beginning of death. And now they started seeing more of what God's word says. This is where it came from. This is why the problems exist. And yet in the midst of that, in Genesis 3.15, where the Lord says he was going to send a promised redeemer through the seed of the woman who was going to crush the serpent's head. That there was hope and that was the message we had come to tell him. So they, 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 were, telling, they, they were talking, you know, I said that we had more of a conversational style of interaction. And... Um, they, they said to us, well, tell us, has he been sent? Will he be sent, this redeemer? Oh, we said, no, he's been sent already. Then Enomade, this lady, oh, I know, I know, I know. I know who God promised he was going to send it. It's you. <laughs> said, oh, man, you, well, no, it's not us. And you ought to thank God, actually, that, that, that it's not us. <laughs> no, guys, there's, there's more to the story. And so we just began to unpack the biblical narrative as God had presented. We went on to Cain and Abel. And the God gave us an idea, I believe, to do skits. Like we would proclaim and teach from the scriptures. And then we'd do some drama to help, you know, kind of put some, kind of like living flannel graph or whatever you want to call it, you know. That they could maybe picture it better. And one guy even said, yeah, keep doing that. Not only are we hearing with our ears, we're seeing with our eyes. And this is actually helping us understand. The interesting thing was... They would relate to the bad person in the story. Oh, we're like Cain. That's we Basudios. Yeah, that's us. We're arrogant. We're, we're like Cain. We're not like Abel. Then we got the story of Noah. We took three days in the story of Noah and, and the flood. Yana came up afterwards and he says, I see it now. I see it. You and Bob are like Noah. And we're like the people on the outside of the ark, aren't we? Yeah. 
But God wants you in the ark. That's why he sent us. He wants you to be able to go into the ark, as it were. The hope, they started telling their relatives. And more people started coming in. 35, 40, 45, 50, 55, 60. These guys are walking two and three days away over a rough, rugged mountain stream. Nobody was promising free hamburgers. Or t-shirts with Basodio written on it. There was nothing for them to gain whatsoever. Nothing. But they were coming. Because their family had said this is really important talk. Went on to the Tower of Babel. Where they saw the dispersion of the nations. And where different languages came from. Oh they were so upset with Nimrod. They wanted to strangle him. They were saying, man, we get, a, we get a hold of him. One guy was angry. He said, I'd chop him up in a thousand pieces. <laughs> I said in the first service, I've been out in the gardens with them during this time we're teaching God's word where these guys, come on, you've got to be out in the gardens if you're going to eat. Sweating bullets. Chopping. And the guy literally saying, Adam, oh, Adam, what were you thinking? They weren't hearing about the story like they're up in the bleachers. They were in the story. In the story. And they are in the story. And so are you and I. In the story of all stories. And that, but after the Tower of Babel, of course, even though there's all this rejection of man, rejecting God, God's still pursuing. He calls Abraham. Why? Because Abraham, I'm going to bless all of earth through you. Even though man kept turning his back, turning his back, turning his back. They see God's goodness through the calling of Abraham. Genesis 12, 12 verse 3 where he says, In you and in your family, all the nations of earth shall be blessed. Speaking, of course, of the Lord Jesus to come through the seed of Abraham. So Dania, one of the leaders, he gets up and he exhorts the whole crowd. Guys, this is wonderful talk. This is good talk. Let's be talking about this in the gardens. If we're walking on the jungle path, in our homes, traveling by canoe, let's keep talking God's talk. That's what they called it. God's talk to one another. And so as time went on, again, I'll, I'll keep moving here. We got to Sodom and Gomorrah. With that lesson, the next morning they came to us, the leaders, and they said, enough of the Bible teaching. We're leaving the village. We go, wait, wow, we thought you guys were interested. They said, no, we're leaving the village. Well, we said, what do you mean? What do you mean we're leaving the village? They said, listen, look what happened to Adam and Eve. Look what happened to Cain and his family. Look what happened to the people of Noah's time. Look what happened to the Tower of Babel. And now you're telling us this? We're next. We're next. Think about what's happening there. Listen, when I tell you there was some nasty stuff going down, there's some nasty stuff that was going down in Basodio land. Real nasty. And yet, there was this deep conviction. It's the bad news first. What does Romans say? God is out to silence that every mouth may be closed. And then he gives the good news. It's bad news first, fundamentally. 
Because you can't even begin to understand the good news. It's good in reference to what? By definition, it's in contrast to the bad news. Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons of Israel down in Egypt. I got to keep moving here. Um, they saw the plagues that everything that happened. We did all these different skits and so on. The Passover we wanted to use the Passover, of course, one of the greatest redemptive analogies in all of Scripture. They were just amazed at this God of the Bible who kept getting greater and greater in their minds. Um, coming out of Egypt, the Red Sea, traveling through the wilderness, down the Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. Once the Basodios had the, heard the Ten Commandments, that was the nail in the coffin. Whoa! What are we going to do? God is so holy. He is so pure. He is so good. We can't even begin to get close to him. Cut off in a good way. With the tabernacle there, they saw this cut offness and yet this sacrifice that at least could temporarily somehow cover sins but not take it away altogether okay after 20 weeks of teaching there was about a hundred now on that little hill there having come from all over the place that was amazing given that they only live in these small little hamlets one of the leaders Loa comes up to us and he says not only will you teach us in the morning, you'll teach us in the evening as well. We want to know what God has done about our sins. Finally. Finally. Now the Spirit of God took the Word of God, the Old Testament, and prepared their hearts for Christ. And it was time to introduce the Lord Jesus. Man, my heart was going like this. Seriously. Man, come on. This is it. But when they heard, wait. Who's the promised redeemer? God the Son. It's God himself through the person of the Son coming to the rescue. Overwhelmed. They could, it, it was just like, what? Wait, what? Who? And Jesus, right from the starting blocks, from his virgin birth, the baptism began to sweep them off their feet. We, we did a lot of skits. And so when they came to the temptation in the wilderness... And my partner, he always had the good, he was always the Lord in the skits. I'm like, you know, the devil. And he said, George, we're typecasting. So anyway, we had a lot of fun as co-workers. So I had this little costume, man. I was the devil, and he had a certain costume. I mean, it wasn't like we were doing Hollywood productions, just something simple. And they, they saw the Lord now, and we were 100 people in this, like, semi-circle. And... So when the Lord's in the wilderness, Satan comes to tempt, they start, they start, you can hear him in the crowd, oh no, oh no. So, but each time, as the scripture says, and we're reading the scriptures, the Lord would resist. They were literally cheering on the sidelines. Yes, yes, don't give in to him, don't give in to him. Oh, why couldn't he have been in the Garden of Eden? Why couldn't it have been him? Jesus, the hero, healing the crippled, the blind, the deaf, 
casting out demons, overwhelmed day after day after day. It's like, oh my goodness. They, guys, they began to write songs and sing songs about the Lord Jesus Christ then, and they had no idea Calvary was coming. Falling in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, and I thought, if anybody hears what we're saying, they're going to think, oh yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Look, I was an eyewitness to all of this that God had done firsthand calling these dear and precious people to himself. And my wife was eyewitness as well. It was unbelievable. Okay, um, the last supper, I got I to keep moving. The, the last supper, there's the last supper, Garden of Gethsemane, the betrayal, the arrest. Jesus is taken off. Now, we had some extra missionaries come in because we needed some Roman thugs and that kind of thing for the skits we were doing, but they didn't know the Basidia language. They didn't need to know it. They just needed to be a Roman thug. So we had some of these other missionaries helping us out to do the drama. The Basidios see Jesus taken off, and they are upset. Wait, he's our hero. He didn't do anything wrong. Why are they arresting him? So we said, okay, Basodios, tomorrow, tomorrow you're going to hear the main crux of the message, why we came here to tell you this main talk. There was fever pitch excitement. We had the diesel generator. We said, look, when we turn the generator on before the sun comes up, this is going to take us a while to get this message across. We were planning on a couple hours of doing drama and sharing and teaching everything. So we, and we did all that. And so um, we got up at 5.30. There was a hubbub. They got everything done. Next thing you know, they're on top of the hill. They couldn't wait to get going. They're calling down to us while we're still in our houses. Hey, you guys coming up to teach us or aren't you? So we had prepared all these props and everything because we were going to act out the crucifixion. So we ran up there. As we're going up the hill, there's this 7 o'clock in the morning, this beautiful rainbow across the valley. They're at the top of the hill saying, look, look, he's put the rainbow. He's put, I didn't put it there. He's put the rainbow. God is telling us, listen to my messengers. And I thought, man, okay, Lord, I'll take it. Wow. Picked it up with the Lord before Caiaphas. He goes over to Pilate. Pilate tries to release him. I don't have time to get into all the details. Everything went. So when, when Pilate says, I'm going to flog him and then release him, one of the Basodios, Maliba, comes up. He literally got up from where he was sitting and came out to where we were acting. That's right. Let him go. Let him go. Like he came right up. I thought, Maliba, that's not how the story goes. Like, get back over here. <laughs> he was fired up. Let him go. But of course, we went through everything that happened at the crucifixion. So we did act out the crucifixion. We had a life-size cross, everything. We went through the whole thing. The sayings from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is finished. We went through all the sayings on the cross. The Basidios were overwhelmed, stunned into silence, having no idea at the time what that meant. Death, burial, the resurrection, the Great Commission, we acted all this out, then the ascension, of course we couldn't do that, and 
They looked at us after all that. Two hours. Is that it? That's it? And we said, no, Basodios, that's not it. Because we said, do you remember Abel? Think back. Do you remember when Abel offered up the sacrifice? Who died? Did Abel die? No. No, the, the lamb died. Yes, and the blood was shed. And the lamb died. In the same way, Jesus is the lamb of God. He died for you. He shed his blood for you so that your sins could be forgiven. Wait, what? They're looking at us overwhelmed. It's like, wait, what are you saying? Like, he, he really took our place? Yes, because we went on then next to Abraham and Isaac. The who died? Did Isaac die? No, the ram died in Isaac's place. Besodios, in the same way, Jesus died in your place. He ate the pain, as they say. He ate the pain on your behalf. All the wrath of God, he took it all for you so that you could be totally forgiven and, and have that freedom of total forgiveness. His love was so great. We went on to the blood of the doorpost at the Passover. But so do you, do you remember the Lord said, if I see the blood, I'm going to pass over. Yeah, we remember, well, Jesus shed his blood and God, you put your faith in him and God will pass over judgment. Of course, there's the tabernacle as well. Great redemptive analogy. And the brazen serpent lifted up in the wilderness. As we're sharing, the oldest man in the village, Wakea, he's up front. He's calling my co-worker over. Bobe, 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 Ife, Ife, Bob, Bob, come. And he grabs on. Bob comes up to him and gets down with him. And he says, Bob, wait, are you saying that Jesus died for me? That he shed his blood for me and took my place? Is that what you're saying, Bob? And Bob says, Wakea, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. He says, Bob, I do believe. I do believe Jesus did that for me. Oh, man, I couldn't believe it. Right there in front of us. I was so, do I have a few more minutes here? Where's Nathan? Okay, okay. So, sorry. Well, I guess, uh, so thanks for coming. No. <laughs> so I was so excited. The other missionaries who were there, you know, filling in as Roman thugs, they didn't know what was going on. They couldn't hear the language. Our wives did. They were fluent. And so I went back to tell these visiting missionaries who were helping us what was going on. And so um, I said, man, this guy just publicly professed faith in Christ. Man, I go back there, Hamiogu, this guy probably in his mid-20s, tears welling up in his eyes. And I'll never forget it. Why? Because he had a baseball cap he was given, and he had it pulled down too far, and his ears were smashed. I'll never forget that. But he just grabbed me, says, oh, I'm so happy. Tears welling up in his eye. I went back to my coworker. I said, Bob, I think Hamiogu is understanding the gospel. Look at him. He's back there like a caged lion, walking back and forth. I said, well, Bob says, well, well let's ask him. I said, Hamiogu, do you have something to say? He says, I most certainly do. Goes right over here, gets up on a tree stump. And he says this, I believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for me. And that when he shed his blood, he shed it for me. And had he not have done that, I would have gone to hell. Oh, man. I said, Bob, did you, did you hear what he just said? Bob says, yeah, I heard what he said. Well, well what do we do? Well, I don't know. 
Well, Bob says, well, why don't you say something back to him? I said, okay, I'll say something back to him. So I just said, Hamyagu, on the authority of God's word, not my word, on the authority of God's word and your profession and the Lord Jesus, your sins are forgiven, thrown behind his back, never to seen again. Oh, my goodness. Guys, again, I'm not making it. Well, this is not an evangelical fish story. How big was the fish that you caught? Oh, man, it's a bit. The women with my wife there, they were hugging, laughing, crying, singing out, we're forgiven, forgiven, we're forgiven, forgiven. Unbelievable. Oh, there's so many, some of them just overwhelmed and just bowled over by the love of God, totally silent. It had so caught them off guard as to God's goodness and what went down. The, the, that night, that night there, I heard these guys up there, and they were rallying around, talking. They had their kerosene lanterns. They were giving testimony. They were up on the hill for, for hours, just rehearsing all that happened. The next night, they were up on the hill, and it was a beautiful starlit night. You see things here in the southern hemisphere you don't get to see here. And... They're just venting praise, making up songs and singing chronologically about the life of the Lord Jesus, beginning with the virgin birth through Mary. Unbelievable. I couldn't take it anymore. My wife and I, we went back down the hill, and this is the verse that came to my mind. Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, please you to do it this way. Grace to the humble. Those that, Lord, I'm broken, I'm needy, I'm, Lord, please. It's the very ones he's pursuing, the very ones he's walking in, the ones that embrace that. And it was indeed that we saw, as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. I want to close here, and I have to close. There's a lot more to the Basodio story. There's a lot more. So what happened after they became Christians? That's another whole story, and unbelievable what God did. Let me just say this, and I'm not making this up. First thing they wanted to do was to tell their relatives, until they did. No grass grew under their feet. They spread the gospel to other people groups even. Again, that's for another time perhaps. But here's one thing that struck me, and I want to leave you with this. Hadi Bayo came in. Um, Hadi Bayo came in, and he had a question. He was only two days old in the Lord. Knew the Lord for 48 hours, and he had a question. He comes into the house, my co-worker and I and our wives are there, and he says, wait a minute, I have a question. How long has it been since Jesus has died? Well, you try to explain 2,000 years to a tribal person, the way they count, they get the 28 this way. So he says, let me, let me rephrase it. Did your father know about this message? Oh, yeah, father knew. Oh, yeah, father knew. Did your grandfather know about this message? Oh, yeah, grandfather knew. Did your great-grandfather know about this message? 
Oh, yeah, great-grandfather would have known. Uh-huh. And he honestly said this. I'm not making it up. You mean to tell me you guys have had this message all that time and you're just getting here now? Where have you been? Where have you been? And then the final question he asked, because they're at the headwaters. Every country they ever heard about, United States, Canada, Australia, England, China, Japan, any and every country is downriver. And so he said this, what's going on downriver? It's a fair question. What's going on downriver? And I'd like to leave you with that because I think one of the things we need to do is to consider, man, lords, what's going on deep down in our own hearts? When they're reveling in the good news, when we've got this treasure, Lord, help us to be more effective right here and around the world.